It's not even coming out on the 21st of September. Like, there's nothing like, 21st It's just so September annoying. Related. Like, bro, are you serious? Like, yeah. should we lie and say we recorded this on the 21st? Now? Like, no, they'll be able to tell. They'll be like, yeah. you, you're not giving Earth, Wind, and Fire energy. You're not. You tell. <laughs> so. Anyway. Okay. Right. So, should we begin? Yes, we should. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, starting in three, two, one. Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. And, oh, welcome to the <laughs> Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yeah, colorful backgrounds. That's right. Season three, y'all. We oh, are back. I know. Oh my God. It's We're doing no- it. <laughs> we got they greenlit us for another season we being us since nobody else is here <laughs> they being the not stakeholders we have um right we're just like yeah girl i guess we want to keep doing this shit so um here we are here we are back at here it again are. fresh moisturized uh just ready for the shenanigans it's true we put you know we 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 washed our faces we <laughs> drank some kombucha it was a good time all right so yeah Love i don't that. know Happy fall. Happy everyone who's back to school. Everyone whose time is arbitrary and nothing matters. Anyway, so we are going to be reading the last, <laughs> the last book. <laughs> they were like, at the end of the seven, their transitions will improve. And the answer was they will not. Absolutely not. So, okay, we will be reading the last book in the N.K. Jemison Broken Earth Trilogy, The Stone Sky. Oh, uh, which is, isn't that wild? Like let's, yeah. just like, let's just, like, take a second. Yeah. This is literally the first, I mean, fifth season was the first book we ever talked about. Talked about Obelisgate last year. And now we're actually finishing, like, we've made it long enough to finish, to be like, hey, by the way, this is how this concludes. Which the listeners are probably like, y'all, y'all couldn't have done that uh, consecutively? <laughs> couldn't have just done them next to each other? Like, you really have to make this, like, a two-year reveal? And I'm like... I can see how that made it more cumbersome to listen can to. Can you imagine but... there's like the the listener from the first day who was like, man, I really want to hear their review of the other two books. <laughs> three years later. <laughs> Literally three years later. But um, hey, Fran, we doing hey, it. How you doing? Yeah. Which begs <laughs> nice the question. Oh, my God. What are we going to do next year? Like, do we finish other like duologies or trilogies that we started oh my god what if we write the next like um what was a malabar hill or something like that because that ooh, that shit Mm. would be lit we'll see kingdom of souls Uh, right oh my god there are options also kingdom of souls low-key i would actually be very interested to see how that shit ends because like that shit was actual bananas check out part two of that of that check out part two because i just it i still one of my favorite episodes up to this day just the chaos anyway Speaking of episodes from our summer, I feel like we have a shout out. We do. We do have a shout out. So this shout out goes specifically to at Epsilon Neridani Books, who taught us something actually really, really important about our episode from the summer that talked about Sojourner Truth and Audrey Lord specifically. Yes. So the person on Instagram goes by Dr. Kate. They're a history professor talking about history, historical facts, fiction, gender studies, and books. So, you know, that's basically our whole literally everything we love. But, you know, what was really cool is that we learned. Well, first, one of our one of our listeners corrected me and told me that 
Sojourner Truth actually spoke Dutch, not German. So, whoops. Mm. <laughs> Footnote that. But also <laughs> that, as we were saying, Sojourner Truth's essay was spoken extemporaneously. So, you know, off the cuff. Mm-hmm. And therefore, different people wrote down what she said or recorded it. And it turns out, as we kind of hinted at, that the actual speech is far different from the one that became famous. So Mm. if, right. And so, you know, of course, people had their reasons for changing it, particularly to suit their agenda and their idea of what a ex-enslaved person would sound like. Mm -hmm. But if you want to hear the actual, or I guess a more accurate rendition of it, you can go to the SojournerTruthProject.com where you can hear the readings and compare the speeches. So, yeah, I don't know. If you have a spare moment, I mean, you could eat a sandwich, listen to this recording, think about life in the universe. Speaking of thinking about (laughs) life in the universe. And I want to underscore real quick. It is very very different very different yeah so i actually do highly i highly i want to just underscore everything aqua just said i really like y'all should really go and listen to it because it is like it is truly night and day mm-hmm. the more accurate rendition um yes yes so yeah and the meanings are different right like mm-hmm. some of the things that are conveyed in one are not conveyed in the other and it's actually kind of annoying that <laughs> people would take her words and sort of decide to use them for their you know to see their needs but yeah it's really cool that there is an accurate version that we can listen to. So, yeah. On that note, Marcy, yeah, it's been three years, three years of questions and podcasting and evolving and changing. And maybe like the book we're reading, we are also kind of a trilogy, um, mm. perhaps. But with each trilogy, things kind of change. Um, you learn more and you grow and things happen. And I was thinking about our podcast. Mm-hmm. And I and our purpose for making it, why we decided to make it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how the ways I think our purpose has changed and grown. And I kind of wanted to ask, like a check-in, like a third third episode of what's it, th- third trilogy <laughs> episode. Oh my god! <laughs> like, yeah, I just wanted. I guess I wanted. Mm. The question is. <laughs> What do you think the purpose of this podcast is? Oh, my God. This is hard because it's like, I mean, I I don't want to just like regurgitate like every like written or otherwise like, I guess, audience facing type of thing that we usually say as far as the purpose of the podcast. But even just I I, so I want to I want to be more thoughtful in my response. To be fair, this is a big question. So I should probably go first since I've thought about it yeah yeah you can definitely start i feel like i just lob things at you and i'm like marcy can handle it and marcy's like oh oh, dodging like frogger on the highway um (laughs) for those who don't know frogger is a video game okay so i think (laughs) i think that um well i was thinking a lot about the idea of, of of diversity and people being diverse and people being marginalized Mm -hmm. and how that definition in and of itself is just a little bit of a trap which i I guess is kind of what we thought when we started right we were Mm -hmm. like to say the hints are like tongue-in-cheek colorful as opposed to all the other things we could have called ourselves Mm -hmm. um 
If I remember reading and uh, listening, I wasn't reading. I was listening to an, <laughs> an interview that we did. And, and we, we were talking about being able to view other people through a lens that wasn't colonized and being able to view ourselves that way. And I don't know if I thought about this at the beginning, but the more we do this show, I, I get a feeling that we're asking ourselves to engage with life each other, the books we read, people, different groups of people, outside of the definitions that we were taught or given. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to make a reference, but kind of the way Eason was taught origin Mm -hmm. instead of magic. We're kind of teaching ourselves to look past our own fulcrum taught origin and reimagine or or reexamine the world through a different lens one that's more elemental and more mm-hmm. honest and i think back to like our second season our second arbitrary season and, and that <laughs> everyone's like D- i'm sorry what what is season one versus season two like y'all motherfuckers just been releasing episodes like i've just been tuning <laughs> in <laughs> every right truly there are no seasons um but <laughs> And we we talked a lot about we are 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 the words that we use are younger than the the bodies that we inhabit or the mm. you know the human existence and that becomes even more true when you look at sort of people of color or diversity or this group or that group mm. um, and in, it's specifically true that our divisions are colonially created. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I think the purpose of our podcast is, and the audience could be like, wow, they really think they're a lot right now. But I think, <laughs> Y'all gave I, yourselves a lot. A lot of cookies. No, right. but, um, <laughs> All the cookies? <laughs> okay. Shit. Take the whole jar, I guess. Y'all think y'all do something. <laughs> but I, I think what we're trying to do, and it sounds high flutin', but I don't think it is, is we're, we're trying to redefine ourselves. And redefine our our relationship with others, so mm. that it's not the case that every time we see each other, it's through the lens of colonization and through the divisions that have come in the aftermath of it. Mm. Right? Because yeah. if we if we could do that, right, then we're being honest about who we really are, mm. which are people with different cultures and beliefs. But we're not the statistics or the colonized groups Mm -hmm. that were created via the 17th or 16th century. Right. Or maybe not. What do you think? Yeah. No, that, that, that really, really resonates with me because I, I, I love that you are lifting up just kind of like, I mean, even, you know, when, I mean, when it came to the language of figuring out like how, okay, how do we articulate the types of literature mm. and the types of authors that we bring up without it centering like whiteness and maleness. And like, I mean, even the term like underrepresented or like, you know, Oh God, like minority or some shit like that. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, so we're always juxtaposing our existence to like whiteness or people who are like needlessly, like, it's not even just like or the majority, I, the majority. Right. And it's just very like, 
Which I, aren't even I, the global majority, right? Exactly. It's, like it's just it's just like in this specific context. And I feel like mm-hmm. terms like that never really analyze or, 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 or bring a critique to the fact that like why it is that there are like so many goddamn groups of people that are <laughs> underrepresented in the first place. Like it, it mm-hmm. almost puts the blame on like the group that is underrepresented uh, as opposed to like the structures, the policies, the realities, the history, the culture, the I don't know, all that shit that comes together that right. creates a reality such that like many groups of people are just like actively literally like intentionally excluded like like Mm -hmm. taken away from from access to these institutions and so i feel like terms like like you're speaking to you know like terms like colorful sort of like bring up this like just this lovely imagery that points to exactly what you're saying just sort of understanding ourselves like outside of a framework that always encourages us to juxtapose ourselves to to the dominant the majority group and just understanding who we are like just just as people and i think if anything it's actually been interesting doing this podcast because i feel like in a lot of ways for myself it's like deeply humbling because Mm -hmm. in 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 a world where it's like you know i mean for for context for anyone listening you know i work like a full-time like one might say corporate type (laughs) of job like i feel like being in that kind of space and even just before that like you know just the university that we went to and just growing up like i feel like there's always such a like onus on like correction and perfection and being right and like being credible and making Mm. sense and like just this really egotistical way of framing how we show up in the world and how we communicate our ideas such that it's not even necessarily about the authenticity authenticity with which we express ourselves but like how credible we look in front Mm. of other people and so for myself i i love doing this show and i love reading books and reading from experiences perspectives i did like folks who hold identities that i just like do not hold and frankly don't know shit about and it's just like okay like this is like let me just sit the fuck down and learn and be like okay girl Mm -hmm. like you actually don't know shit about this like for example i don't i mean there's so many instances where this is true but for example like when we were reading um like Persepolis, for example, I remember like sitting down for that show and being like, Whoa, um, I feel like I don't <laughs> have enough of the historical nuanced understanding of the of this of these world events to really give this conversation justice. But like what matters is like obviously handling these conversations with respect. It's not, I'm not saying like, oh, just throw all caution into the wind and just say, fuck it, whatever. Like, who cares? Like, I tried. Like, it's like be respectful, but mm-hmm. also like understand what it is that you don't know but like don't let that stop you from engaging in conversations that are really really important and and and, and mm-hmm. through that work being able to exactly where you're speaking to like understand people is just it's just people and again moving from like a decolonized perspective of how it is we we, we view other other groups of people um and even just for for you know the stories that we've read and from authors that like you know belong to groups that i too fall into like it's been really illuminating to be like wow like Look at me actually being able to like exist in literature, like in fiction, in fantasy, like to be mm-hmm. to have kingdoms crafted with like folks like me that are just there. Like it's just an undisputed fact that like I could exist in all these mirrored ways. I feel like it's really working to undo a lot of just the harmful aspects. I mean, I mean that not just that I was socialized into, but that like all of us were, right? And so yeah. you know, yeah. I think a lot about just like the importance of media representation and conversations and experiences that really move away from like a stereotypical oppressive framework for how it is that we are kind of taught to to understand one another. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this podcast in a lot of ways is continuing to do that work in, in so many ways. So not like a succinct response, not a concise response. <laughs> a beautiful like, response. I Thank you. Um, yeah. I would say for that's, I would say that's where kind of purpose lies 
in it for myself. And frankly, the fact that we do this publicly is just sort of like a like a modeling, like an example. Here's like here's just like a way, a framework, something mm-hmm. that people could use to, you know, possibly go about similar work in their own in, in their, their own, own lives. journeys. Yeah. So yeah. I think I like your point about modeling, right? And that was what Marcy brought. You don't know this. I've just like lifted up the the curtains. But that's what Marcy really talked about when we first talked about this fo- this focus, this podcast, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was this idea of what if we did it? What if we didn't just say it, but we did it? We engaged with it. We became people who read books about other people and ourselves. Mm-hmm. What if we what would it mean not just to think about it, but to do it? How would that change the course of things? How would mm-hmm. that add to the space of things? And I was listening to this other podcast and they, they were discussing, you know, with books or with the internet or maybe America, I don't know, globalization, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> with the present, the idea is when you engage with art, you engage uh, many times as a critique as a mm-hmm. criticism, as a, this is good or this is bad. This is this many stars or this is not this many stars. Or, right. and But they pointed out that there's another way to engage with, well, there's infinite ways to engage with anything, but another mm. way to engage with art is to make meaning, not even to find meaning, but to make meaning in the art so mm. that it's conversational between you, the art, and whoever it is that you're engaging with the art with. And that's just as interesting or valuable of a pursuit as a critique, right? Right. And it's, it's actually an anti-capitalist approach to art, which right. is that if there is meaning and you are making meaning, mm. there's value. And I thought about that, and I thought about what that meant that you and I read these books, we engage with them, and then we hope to make reimagine a world where I don't need the colonialist lens that I've been taught to see mm-hmm. anyone, where we make a new meaning, a new world between all of us. And if you, the audience, engage back, I know this is a parasocial relationship, so you can't really engage back, but like, however best you can. <laughs> Couple parasocial? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like really kind of a one way. I was like, epistemology needs to go to the side. So, <laughs> But I, I know that you, you know, you, the audience, can't really engage with us, but in a way you can, right? And if we think together to make meaning and then to see people through lenses that we weren't used to seeing them, then I don't know. I think that's enough. I think we've we've all engaged in something valuable or mm. meaningful. So I uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's do I have anything else I want to say? Like I'm really <laughs> just like I, I, I feel like there's like emotions that I'm feeling and I'm like do those emotions want to be translated into words or do I just want to feel the emotion in this moment in time? <laughs> You're very good at feeling your emotions in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, honestly, yeah, could, could, could not agree more, frankly. And, you know, that is something that like, yeah, no, I just, yeah, I just, I, I agree. I just, I just, I simply agree. Um, <laughs> so. I guess, I guess we're saying we want you all to have the option yeah. to engage with the world differently than maybe you think possible. 
Mm-hmm. And we probably, Marcy can maybe say that they did, but I, I didn't know that this would look like this in three years. I didn't know, you know, I thought, yeah, if we do it this way, you know, you know, I, I still thought in the terms of diversity and marginalized and POC. Mm. I, 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 when we started, yeah. But the more I read, the more I engage, the more I think, oh, these words fail. They fall short on what this right. is. Uh, <laughs> if I can read something and completely engage with it in a way that has nothing to do with how I'm taught, to, to engage or even to change my mm. mind to choose to engage in something I never would have thought to engage with. Right. It's magic. So. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just, just to exercise that, like to, to consistently and constantly, you know, be engaging in these like new worlds, these new descriptions, these new characters, these new arcs. It just, it feels like, and sometimes I feel like I'm like, we're just like flying through space and like, there are just like all these beautiful stars that we just like jump on and then we just like jump to the next one. And there's just like, there's just yeah. like infinite universes that we can like explore. And there's just very much speaking to your point, like there is just such a deep magic in being able to, and just like a serenity and such a, and like such a beauty and being able to. And a humility, like you said. Exactly. To, to be able to engage in this type of exchange in a way with when it comes to experiences that might be reflected in the stories that we read that we can deeply relate to. And also other ones where maybe we're just not as familiar with, but it's like, there's still like, it's like, I, I'm not going to say that I am someone else. Like that's like, that's silly. Like it's like, it's like we all like, we have very distinct and nuanced ways in which we experience the world. But like, there is like, exactly what you're speaking to. There is like a, there's like a, just that moment of humanity where it's like, you know, social categories aside and all of that. Like I'm just understanding. I'm just, I'm, I'm being, invited into someone else's world in a way that just is like it's really hard to replicate in any other like form of media frankly it's just it's just really beautiful but yeah yes so so yeah i don't know i think this is our little rebellion our little value making meaning making thing yeah so Mm. thank you for being here this long (laughs) to engage oh me well yes you of course always you Oh, I thought. Oh also- God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you actually saying that to me right now? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, Marcy, of course. The, I mean, think about it. It's like that. Uh, so in Zelda, there's this line that says it's dangerous to go alone. Mm. So, but also the audience. So thank all yeah. of you. Yeah, thank you all so much. Again, I, I know we're always like, we really appreciate y'all listening, but like literally, like this show wouldn't exist. Truly would not exist yeah. without nope. um, folks just being like, you know what? I have finite time mm-hmm. within this like weird on this weird ball hurling through space. And yeah, I'm gonna just take some time to just listen to these two people on the internet, just like <laughs> pontificate about whatever and like talk about Hazel, the dog um, and all this like other random <laughs> shit and just do whatever the fuck we do on the show. And so I just, I y'all are just, thank y'all for, for caring enough, frankly, yeah. um, to, to invite us into, into your own journeys in whatever way that looks like. Right. So yes. Ah, uh, lovely. Mm. Well, should we talk about Stone Sky? <laughs> In this book? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Sounds good.
we're back. Woo! <laughs> uh, yes, so now we go from that beautiful conversation to um, this shit. Um, so, get ready. Okay. Get ready. <laughs> Just get ready. Oh, my God. Okay, so for context, I figure, you know, it's the third book of a trilogy. It's been literally years since we did the first one. So it might be helpful to give some, like, context, like a recap mm-hmm. moment. Just so y'all kind of know what's going on. So, okay, I'm not going to do, like, a whole deep dive on book one. Because, I mean, sweetie, like, I mean, at least listen to that one before <laughs> listening to this one. But basically, so just to kind of give a summary, more so of Obelisk Gate going into, into Stone Sky. So just to give context for all the things, there's a continent called the Stillness. There's a season called the Fifth Season. Mm. basically the apocalypse everyone's in a damn apocalypse and they're like oh my god that's wild so it's like Eason, her daughter nason um her husband jija and basically like jija and nason end up going off together and because jija killed Eason's son uche and Eason like swerved revenge on jija like has been trying to basically find him and nason since like book one that's like basically what's going on so yeah. in obelisk gate to kind of give more specifics we kind of see Eason's life specifically at the end of book one. So essentially she joined this calm community called Kastrema, which is basically located in this like ancient underground, like dead civilization where like we see like origins, which is what Eason is, and stills regular ass people living together <laughs> with like some semblance of harmony underneath a leader named Yekka, who was also herself an origin. Now, if you don't remember, origins are basically these like they're they're people, but like they basically have the ability to like manipulate the earth more or less. Listen mm-hmm. to, you know, this season, I'll escape. Okay. So while Issa was in Kastrima, she ran into her, um, her old mentor slash lover, Alabaster, um, who she hadn't seen in like hell along. <laughs> Alabaster's like... Um, what was the stone eater? Apodapolis? Oh, yeah. Applesauce. Apple right. <laughs> Onomatopoeia. Um, yeah. Oh, girl. So basically, Alabaster's turning to stone because he was the one that started the season. Like, he literally, like... So Earth had like he basically what did he do he um oh my god what did he, he do he pulled the moon back into uh yes he he didn't fix it completely but apparently the moon was like way off somewhere else like and hell off right like the moon was basically at Jupiter but anyways <laughs> <laughs> he pulled it back <laughs> closer closer to the Earth so that you know someone else can like pull it back into its regular orbit. Right. Because basically what we learned in in book two was that the reason why there are seasons at all is because like the moon was like set off its course by origins like way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so Father Earth was like pissed in a sense been like having these like apocalyptic seasons every so often. So Alabaster, like Akko said, just kind of brought the moon back. But essentially he's like, Eason, you must catch the moon when it comes back. You must take all of these random obelisks that have been in the book since literally page one and like (laughs) network them together to catch the moon. And Eason is like bro that sounds hella dangerous and alabaster's like oh sorry i'm like i'm turning to stone because i used too much magic <laughs> to make the moon come back and then Ethan's like wait is that gonna happen to me he's like oh sorry i actually can't answer that question because um <laughs> adjective is eating my legs right now so like it's just a lot going on um so it was like a lot going on Ethan's like oh my god so oh my god. all this is happening and then like in Kastrima, they were beefing with this other <laughs> they were beefing with this <laughs> other calm where there was like a bunch of stone eaters stone eaters are like mm-hmm. basically statues that are also people yeah so they were like beefing and there was like this one stone eater named like steel slash gray man who is like ominous and weird and like was fighting Hoa and all his other shit. Hoa's like one of Eason's little little stone eater friends. Anyway, 
So basically, the really her the only stone eater friend. They literally the only stone eater friend. And if, if you remember, like Koa went from appearing as a small child to appearing as an adult. Um, mm. Even though honestly, they stone eaters don't care about time or space, right? Basically or facial immortal. expressions at all yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. the these like silly social cues that we do they're like i don't know why y'all do all that like that's yep. mad weird anyway so hoa is like a grown-ass man and by a grown-ass man i'm like he's been around for at least a damn millennia at mm. least one um at least so what was i talking about oh yeah so they were beefing with this other com Kastrima. Blah, 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 Obelisk Gate. Yeah, so Eason essentially, like, ends the fight. Like, they, like, the other comm is coming in. They're trying to, like, destroy Kastrima. And Eason's like, let me just do a one-two step real quick. And so she, like, <laughs> harnesses the power of the Obelisk and, like, basically turns everybody into crystals. Not people in Kastrima, but, like, the other comm. Um, yeah. And we come to find out that there's actually a nuance in how we should understand this idea of origini and magic. Basically, what we mm-hmm. learn is that, like, ma- so magic is kind of like this ever... And we'll talk about this a little bit more. But magic is basically ever-present in the world. Yeah. And origins have the ability to to kind of access it in a way that like other groups of people can't. Now, mm. Eason learned how to do that through the fulcrum, so she learned a very specific way of like m- like uh, channeling this energy. But other origins can just like use the magic directly; they don't necessarily have to convert it into something. And so, right. Eason earlier was like, "Oh, like if you're just like using magic like by itself, you know, you, you're untrained." Blah blah blah. But like, there's there's a lot more like nuance than that, essentially. And- that's what Alabaster is trying to unteach her. Although Alabaster right. is not the best teacher, although to be fair, he is also being eaten by apple dapple applesauce. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually remember her real name. Um, her name was um, it wasn't acrobatics. What was her name? Uh, it was Antigone. A- Alimony. It wasn't alimony. Al- Acrimony? No, it wasn't. Um, antimony. And antimony. So we've been bullshitting for so long. I'm like, damn, what is her name? Her name is not alligator. What is her no. name? <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, Abercrombie and Fitch has been eating <laughs> alabaster since the very beginning. Um, yeah, so that's essentially how that part ends. Eason, like, ends the little war or whatever. Boom. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Nason has been traveling with Jija throughout essentially the whole season, and it's been actually awful because Jijin, Jija is like, hates Origin so much so that mm-hmm. he killed his own son who was an Origin, and then Nason's also an Origin. So, like, Nason is, needless to say, like, terrified for her life the entire time. They are traveling well for a while. Luckily, they're able to kind of beat the season a little bit, like, and make it to different comms, like, before all the resources fell mm-hmm. out. Um, but essentially, Jija's on this whole thing where he's like, I need to cure you, Nason, of, like, your Origin powers because, like, that shit is wild and, like, girl, we can't be doing that here. Which, by the way, not a thing. Once an Origin, always an Origin. Can't yeah. not be one you just are one but whatever yep so they find this community the two of them called found moon where they run into this guy named shafa who used to be eason's old guardian guardians basically are like these kind of uh how to describe them in, in the fulcrums of the origins have to like you know be forced into learning how to like do whatever the fuck guardians are kind of like these agents of like control and like mm-hmm. domination like they kind of force origins to like comply to these very specific things so very abusive figure but they also so it's like if you if y'all remember from the other two books, the stills feel safe if there's a guardian with an origin because they feel like, oh, the guardian can control the origin because the guardians have this like power to find the origins from the fulcrum at any given time. Right. And they also are, I guess, tools of Father Earth. And so right. they have they they have these little patches on their on their necks that kind of can only be soothed by 
taking magic from an origin. Mm-hmm. Um, if y'all remember, Shafa used to be a compliant, I guess, tool of Father mm-hmm. Earth, but then he was like at Miove and things went a little haywire. Yeah. So Shafa's still not the best person in no, anybody's no, no. framework, but um, <laughs> he and Nason kind of develop a closer relationship, so much so that he kind of becomes like a like a father figure that Gigi could never really be for her. Long story short, Gigi's relationship with Nason quickly deteriorates. He tries to kill her, but she kills him first. Yep. And what else? Ah, so Nason also can like use the obelisk um, and like is magical and like basically OP as fuck. And so like she herself found out, I think through Gray Man, that one weird stone eater and was like, oh, yeah, girl, like um, I'm gonna stop the moon. My goddamn self. I don't trust my mama to do it. So they're kind of like both heading towards the same destination. They're going to meet eventually. Eventually. Um, yeah. Okay. So basically, Eason and Nason are both trying to put the moon back in its orbit at the moment and they both have their respective stone eaters and shafa is there being shafa and not jija because jija is no longer alive right (laughs) that's where we are in the story (laughs) love that perfect and also not alabaster because alabaster also died in obelisgate i don't know how i forgot that part anyway so um so now we're going to talk about the stone sky so the story to give it some context is broken up into three (laughs) different perspectives so boom we got hobo's perspective which is basically the retelling of the past before like the very first season in this civilization called sile anagist it'll make sense it won't um and then we also have (laughs) and so what we learned is that at the very beginning, Sal Anagus was essentially destroyed, and Hoa was actually the one who, who, who did it. So we learn more about that story. Again, this is like Hela in the past. The other perspectives that we get are from Eason and the Constrema crew, and as well as Nason and Shafa. So, and I guess also Steel, a.k.a. Gray Man, a.k.a. that like weird stone. <laughs> so those are the three perspectives. I'm going to talk about Eason's situation, and then Aqua will go specifically into Hoa slash like Nason, Shafa, Gray Man's. Okay. Let's let's do it. So when we join Eason, um, so again, she was like literally, she just like destroyed a whole com at the end of Obelisgate. And so obviously that's like a lot of energy. She like did a lot. And so basically she's like been in a coma hella long. She eventually wakes up and she finds that her right arm, similar to Alabaster, has actually been turned into stone. So we're seeing here that there's a clear like, okay, when you harness the power of the Obelisk, when you use that amount of magic... There's a repercussion that mm-hmm. takes place. And similar to what Applebee's was doing in book two, you know, <laughs> Hoa is essentially going to start eating Eason's stoned body parts. There's a nuance here that I'm sure will come out in part two where it doesn't, I don't, I don't think it's actually as consumptive, like literally consumptive as it implies. I think there's like a mutual symbiotic necessity to this, but right. I, I feel like that'll be brought in, 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 in later. Regardless. Ethan's like, oh my god, my right arm, like, that's wild. And so Lerna and Taki, who are, like, her friends or whatever, see her wake up, and they basically tell her, like, hey, friends, so, um... Hey, here's a Capri Sun. How are you? Like, here's a little juicy juice. Um, You're probably (laughs) noticing we're not underground. We are actually Mm. all above ground walking to this one town to, like, get some resources because Kastrima was destroyed. Mm. Not gonna say it was completely your fault, but I'm not gonna not say that it wasn't your fault either. (laughs) So, um... They, like, take out a clipboard. They're like, ah, 
you know, just to point out, um, yep, no, Kashima is definitely gone. We are definitely <laughs> calmless. Um, people are mad at you, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Haven't seen Hoa. You know, there's like checking right. off each book. <laughs> They're like, oh, what else? Oh, you're you're turning to stone, as I'm sure you've noticed. Um, <laughs> Little odd, I think that's but... it. And he says like, wow, like, holy shit. Basically, she's like, oh, well, like, is Hoa going to come back? Like, what, like, what's up? And, like, Lerner and Taki were like, yeah, he's probably going to come back and start, like, eating your arm. But, oh, but don't worry. He'll do so consensually. He won't eat your arm without your permission. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. So honestly, in a season, what can we ask for? Like, truly at this point. So basically, they're all, everyone's calmless. They're all just, like, going to, I forgot the name of the town. It starts with an R. Ramirez? Ramina's? Yes, yes, Ramina's. Um, so they're all going there because apparently that town's like is essentially sort of like the epicenter, really, of the of the current season. Like has a lot of like centralized like resources and shit. So they're gonna go there. If I remember from Hoa's chapter, where Hoa in Obelisk Gate, Eason, she that was part of her whole objective, right? Was to turn all the stone years into crystals and then free up Ramina's so Nason would have somewhere to live when. She went and got Ah, yes, 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 yeah. yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. Mm, fair. Okay. Love that. Correct. Listen to Akko. <laughs> okay. So that's a thing. Hoa does eventually come back and eats Ethan's arm. And it's like, low-key kind of sexual. And I was sure. like... Yeah. A little romantic. Okay. Um, this might become something yeah. anyway so Ethan's I mean, like okay. don't don't eat people's arms right like not romantic right, outside like, of this fantasy novel but like i guess here and and even just now i was gonna be like oh like not to kink shame but don't and i was like ah, but actually don't consume like i, I think don't, we could draw a line here i think yeah, we could think say okay. hey don't don't do that but um you know fantasy whatever so Ethan's <laughs> like wow so this is all a lot um I'm i feel like tonky and like learner were also like like sitting there having this <laughs> just like leader. watching re- weirdly they close like, by and they're like <laughs> I, I i feel like we should give y'all a moment like should we, should like, we but like he's like still talking to them and he's like, they're like i mean i guess we should <laughs> respond but like uh, you seem kind of occupied um it's all very weird um so basically, Ethan's like, yeah, so I'm going to find my daughter, Nason. And Tonki's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're, like, doing that whole thing where you want to, like, reunite with your daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, you're turning into stone. You literally just woke up from a coma. Everyone's calmless. I don't know. Maybe, like, give it a second. And Ethan's like, right. yeah, that's fair. And then Tonki's like, yeah, you also might want to talk to Yika, the, like, Kastrima leader. Because, like, she's, like, hella pissed at you. And honestly, might throw your ass out. <laughs> and Ethan's like, oh, my God, what? And so she, like, talks to Yika. While they're like all traveling, and you guys basically like, you know what, Ethan? I'm not mad at you because you opened a gate, stoned mm. everybody, destroyed yeah. literally any semblance of a home that any of us have ever had. For ma- and like, Ethan's like, Ooh. okay, girl, I get it. Like, okay, what are you mad at then? <laughs> it's just like, what I'm mad at, Ethan, is that no matter what, no matter how much you like might matriculate into a community or like socialize mm. with people, you always cast yourself out. You never think of yourself as like part of anything. Like you just see yourself as like an individual Raga who does whatever it takes to survive. And because of just like that really heightened sense of detachment from like anyone and anything, it just leads to really re- volatile and irresponsible behavior. And it, there's just like no accountability at all. And yeah. he's like, Oh yeah, I can't even really respond for real. Cause she was mm-hmm. thinking about it. She's like, I mean, Yika only said facts. Like, since book right. one, Eason has left kind of a, like, a path of destruction, destruction in her wake. Which, granted, all have had reasons, but, like... Okay, but, like, but then, you know, I was thinking that, and then I thought about it. I was like, did you need to ice all of Tiramo? Right. Did, did you did you need to ice all of Tiramo? Right. Hmm? No. 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 No, you didn't. You know? Right. When, with the obelisk gate, couldn't she just have, like, 
I know this is a wild thought, but literally use that time to pull the moon back. Wouldn't that have been a good idea when you were doing that? Mm. Also was an option. Didn't do it. Right. Ho has been around for a while. You wanted to find your daughter, wanted to move through the earth with your daughter. Could have done that too. Because Hoa literally can teleport Mm-hmm. anywhere and we'll actually yep. get to that in a second but um yep. yeah all of these were just were choices that Eason neither made nor recognized that she could have made and so that's why you like this that's my issue with you Eason it's all, mm. all all that shit that Marcy and Akko just said that and Eason's <laughs> like oh fuck and so they're like wow that's a lot of self-reflection but then everyone's like wait we're in, a, in an apocalypse there's no time for self-reflection right. because nope. Kastrima well kind of Kastrima because everyone's calmless <laughs> is basically they're like have been walking for days or whatever well actually not days hella long anyway they get to a fucking forest <laughs> that clearly was made by some kind of like it, it's, it's just very artificial clearly in origin made it clearly filled with booby traps clearly mm. unsafe and Yika's like we gotta go through and Ethan's like I just feel like of all the actions that can be taken that's not <laughs> the best one and, and, and Yika's like I mean if we go through we'll just fight them off and then Ethan's like yeah yeah I understand that but can we just go around and Yika's like we're going through and she's like you know I did just make up with you let me not rock the boat too much right. so they all just go through the forest knowingly going into booby traps and of course get attacked but luckily also, you know the girls have a strategy what's that? Well I was gonna say for context because it might be important in a second like um uh, Kastrima, the calmless, the calmless Kastrima, it still has like Orgene and Stills working together, and they're kind of like taking on more people, even though they don't have a calm. So the survivors from the Raminis yes, that they destroyed right. mm-hmm. are captured there, some of them, and they're like, there's this whole debate about like, should we let them fight with the booby chops and that'll be a way to earn their place in the calm? And then they're like, do we want to be loyal? And then they're like, this is kind of cool that you guys still have like hope in humanity, but also we're also captured. And Yika did like, you know, kill somebody who was like trying to rebel. So it's not like the most friendly of terms. It's but not, but no. Continue, I mean, sorry. relative to everything else going on, it's just like, okay, hmm. this is, I guess, slightly less egregious behavior, but, um, I mean, weren't there like boil beetles? <laughs> yeah, they like the options are. Alive. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just. Who anyway? So, um, all of that. There is this, like, if not a kinship or sense of you know true community, there is like, okay, we're gonna work together. There is like a partnership here yes. um, that you typically do not see. That does make a stream a really interesting, given the 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 landscape that they are navigating, literally. So. Yeah, so they go through the forest, they get hella attacked, and Ethan's like, oh my god, like, that's wild. So she, like, runs off at one point and ends up finding... So she kind of was obsessing from the whole situation. She's like, okay, I feel like there's one origin that put together this forest, and everyone mm-hmm. else is, like, some kind of other thing that's not an origin. I just need to find the central origin in this and stop them. She runs into the forest, does, like, the whoop, 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 mag- magic, obeliskate, <laughs> la, 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 um, and basically is able to stop one of the, the origin, who, funny enough... Funny enough, was her mm. old friend from the fulcrum, Maxis. So if y'all haven't heard that name in a minute, we haven't either. Nope. Barely remembered who he was. But Mm-mm. basically, long story short, they like when Eason was Demaya in book one, um, yeah. all there was all the that drama. Book one. Yeah, all literally the all the way in book one. Hasn't been mentioned since. Um, nope. 
The same thing actually, funny enough, happened with Lerna in book one. I remember Lerna was on, like, was a person until page 12 and then came back at the very end and weirdly <laughs> became integral to the plot. So Maxis is basically pulling a Lerna, but like, did, right. I mean, Lerna did it first, but you know, that's none of my business. <laughs> anyway, so basically Maxis is like, hey girl, like, remember from the folk room? And Ethan's like, nope. And he's like, me neither. But like, I am here. And essentially, like, basically, he's been kind of going around making alliances with like different groups of people. Mm-hmm. Also, Maxis has like clearly been through a lot. Like, since, you know, she last saw him in the folk room, he's lost a couple of limbs he's lost sight in one of his eyes he actually has um what do they call it ash lung or something like that from basically yeah. just all of the ash that's just around during a season he's like very sick very sick a lot kind of going on mm-hmm. and so Ethan kind of you know catches up with him a little bit and then um talks to yika and yika's actually like yeah like maxis like join the com you little friends J- have him join too and like he's like wow so really there's no exclusivity here love that so around the same time that, like, Maxis literally does not even an application to get into the comm, um, <laughs> Hoa shows up again to consume Eason's left breast because, like, in her whole battle with uh, Maxis, she, like, used too much magic. So um, he's, like, literally eating her boob and, like, at one point is like, hey, I might as well use this to uh, give you kind of an exposition <laughs> dump on, like, what's been going on with Nason, like, while all this has been happening. And Eason's like, what? And he's like, uh, try not to, like, move too much because, you know, a little, little busy here. But basically he's like, yeah, so Eason, there are three things you need to know. And they come in the following order. One, Jija is dead and Mason <laughs> killed him. Two, and she, she's like, what? He's like, let me finish. Two, and He Mason. also has a clipboard. <laughs> He's like, okay, check. He's like, two. his glasses. <laughs> like, push his sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> two nason's hanging out with gray man aka steel aka that weird stone eater three yeah. and then he's like he's in, like didn't say anything and i was like wait so you have no response to that oh okay whatever that's fine um <laughs> three she's also hanging out with shafa period um yeah. and Ethan's like wow that's actually wild so there's just, like a lot of things going on on yeah, one the end one kind of floors her yeah it was it was a lot because she was like okay where do i even how do i even begin to process this in chronological order first of all jj mm. my husband is dead who i mean like yes nason's probably safer without him being around but also too like she no longer has her father mm-hmm. in the world like that's complicated i was also married to this man i also have been trying to get this like get revenge on this motherfucker since book one so like yeah kind of don't really have the satisfaction it's literally my whole motivation for the right that was like kind of my like she was like looking through fifth season like yeah that was really my <laughs> whole story arc like i don't really like like what do i do now she's also just panicking from just past trauma um just with the idea of shafa being around nason yeah. and he's with her daughter Oh, she's also just generally kind of mad that like Gray Man, aka Steel, aka that weird stone eater, is like still even part of the story. She's like, bro, why are you even still like you haven't been chopped yet? Like, how are you not? How are you, are you still on the still? island? But basically, she's like, there's just like a lot going on. It's like a lot to really process. And so, and also too, there is this kind of increasing sense of fear of Nason, just given this idea of of what happened with Jija. So Hoa actually mm-hmm. takes her to so teleports Easton to see Jija to go to where Jija was killed. N- mind you, not to go where Nason is, but to go where. Nope. DJ was killed. Mind you, they um, know where Nason is. They Hella do. Has has been where where she is. She, they know where to find her. They just and they're just literally not doing. Not it. Going so there. yeah. Basically, he takes her to see where Gija's, like, crystallized body. She, like, has this weird conversation with someone in Found Moon. She, like, pretended to be a guardian. Whatever. Basically, you know. It's a side plot. 
Yeah, it's like a whole like thing. But through all of that, she realizes that she just she feels like she's failed her daughter. Mm-hmm. She wasn't able to protect her. She like I mean, Nathan was in a situation where she literally the only option was to kill her father to like maintain any semblance of safety. And so Eason, meanwhile, was like with Tonki and Lerna and Ho and all this other shit. You know, it's just a lot of feelings of like regret and like, damn, like mm-hmm. I really didn't like protect my daughter. Also, I now I'm kind of afraid of what she's capable of. I mean, she's around fucking Shafa and Gray Man, like literally yeah. yikes. Couldn't think of a worse crew. But then at the same time, she's also like, well, shit, maybe Shafa and Gray Man, aka Steel, aka that weird stone eater, are actually the best <laughs> companions for my damn daughter. Cause clearly I ain't been doing shit. And Ho was right. like, yeah, bro, that's wild. Like, oh my God. So Hoa like takes her back to the calm, uh, I guess, to where Kastruma is currently now. Right. And she's just kind of like generally like upset. And she's also just kind of annoyed because she's like, oh my God, all these stone eaters, I feel like they just ruin all of our lives and they just like manipulate all of us into like doing their bidding and then they just eat us when we turn to stone. And Hoa was like, girl, like, <laughs> oh, what? what? But like literally, was... he's like, I mean, he blows up like the same clipboard from earlier. He's like, I mean, I didn't see a, like a lie. I mean, all I saw <laughs> was a fact, but it just made me feel bad. <laughs> he like flips through the carbon copies of the, right. the papers. <laughs> Uh, it's like, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yikes. Um, so, yeah, so Easton now is basically at a crossroads. She knows not what to do with her life. She doesn't know where to go. She has no idea what her motivation is. She feels like everything she touches kind of dies. She feels like she failed her daughter in the mm-hmm. most profound way imaginable. I mean, she's, I mean, Nason's literally the only living child she has remaining. Um, yeah, and she and had she just two feels before. Like, yeah, and they both, yeah. So, is she killed? They're no them. fault of her own. Right, really. context I mean, is she, important, yeah, but con- yeah. there's a there's a there's a spiral taking place, and my, mm-hmm. while all this is happening, Ho was like, "Oh, don't worry, Eason, I will outlive forever, so you can always love me." And Eason's like, "Bro, are you serious? Like, like, <laughs> are you?" So that's how part one ends. <laughs> so. That is Ethan's story. So Aka will now talk about what happens with Hoa and like Nason slash Shafa slash Gray Man. And yeah. Yeah. So let's go back in time to before the first season. And that's where Hoa's story kind of takes place in the place called Sal Anagist. Mm-hmm. Sal. Yeah, we'll call it that. Yeah. So here. <laughs> Yeah. So we learned that Hoa and his, I guess, stone eater friends were originally originally created by a dead civilization, which the civilization is kind of cool. It runs on nature and technology. So like mm. there's grass and flowers everywhere, but there's also these machines with legs that look like cars and these different pathways. And in the middle of every city are these huge obelisks and each it's not even like one city. It's like a bunch of interconnected cities and obelisks kind of run them but they also connect with the other obelisks and to create this huge sort of civilization run on magic obelisk power so basically mm-hmm. we're seeing if the, at the beginning of the book we had no idea why these floating objects were just floating in the air now and in this third book we realize oh this is the civilization where they came from so the stone eaters act as tuners for the obelisk so the, tu- the obelisks have a frequency. They vibrate at a frequency. And then the stone eaters are kind of like tuners who talk to the obelisks and then make sure everything's working as it should be. And they have these conductors who oversee their work. And it's a strong slavery parallel. They don't have rights. They don't Mm. get to leave or go anywhere. Their sole purpose is to just sit there and make sure the stone is vibrating at a happy tempo so everyone else can live their happy spider car lives. So the eaters don't have autonomy and they're, you know, they're forced to live pretty restrictive lives. 
but they have feelings <laughs> and they actually communicate in these like really deep ways. So they, they can both talk, but they also communicate with each other through like origin magic or sensing the earth, you know, they like talk. And so their communication is much more nuanced. So someone might mm. say something, but the nuance of the sentence was, you know, she was um, angry mixed with like a, a, a hint of disregard and like the fluttering of a butterfly's wing. Read it, okay. I'm sorry, that wasn't the best. <laughs> Just read the damn. Just book. read the description. Right? <laughs> um. Anyway, the conductors and other humans don't want to think about the stone eaters as people because, as you know, if you're using people to make things run and not treating them as humans, it complicates the whole like dehumanization thing. So. Mm. However, Hoa and his friends are not performing as well as their creators would like, and they're having a hard time with one of the obelisks, and it's not working the way it's supposed to. So the creators bring in this, this I guess, stone eater, uh, Kellen Lee, who... Wait, is, she was a stone eater? I believe so. She was kind of like a stone eater they found in the wild. Like, found mm. in the wild. She's not a Pokemon, but she was not raised... <laughs> 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 she was... <laughs> She was not raised in a in a, the area where the rest of them were raised, and so she's had mm. real life experiences. Okay. So, and then you know, at first the stone eaters are kind of jittery and they're a little jealous, and they're like, "Well, is she gonna take over? Are they gonna give her all our praise and glory?" And Kellen Lee is like, "You know that these people are actually your oppressors, and their approval means nothing to me." But okay, so anyway, Which, Kellen, such a mood, oh, such truly mm. a mood. <laughs> So, um, Kellen Lee is better at talking to the obelisks and she convinces the creators that the reason she is, is because the rest of the stone eaters have never been outside their restricted four walls. And so she convinces the creators to let her take Hoa and the other stone eaters out of the city to gain experience. It kind of doesn't seem like she, that's a lie. And everyone, all the stone eaters are kind of picking up on it through their like secret origin magic speak that they have mm-hmm. another objective. But the creators are like, boop, 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 boop. You know, they're not seeing any right. text. They're just like these stupid stone eaters. They don't know anything. Anyway, so uh, Kellen Lee takes them outside of the city. And at first, the stone eaters are all very overwhelmed. They're like, oh, my goodness, sounds colors food smells you know it's very you know fish out of water all right literally overstimulated (laughs) so she ends up taking them to this old abandoned building which by the description just sounds like a modern building that we would have and they're like yeah this building is ridiculous it's ancient runs down it's run down they were like it has absolutely no integration with nature it just sticks it's the what is a steel they got steel they have bricks they're like oh this is an ugly design i was feeling a little 21st century hurt i was like yo um, not my buildings (laughs) (laughs) my buildings are cute and i was like no i gotta admit they're not so anyway it's it's like our buildings except inside there's like a mini obelisk engine Mm. and hoa's kind of examining it and he's like this is you know making a huge amount of power this is probably from a different civil. What is this? And it's so small for as much power as it's, as it's generating. And also the output is greater than its input, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. And then Ho was like, wait, I think this is art. And I was like, I'm still not entirely sure what that means either. Me but neither? No. But Kellen was like, Hoa, you made this. And Akko and Marcy just looked at the page confused and hoped part two would explain what that meant. <laughs> 
<laughs> so <gasps> flipping over to Nason. <laughs> that was the vibe. So then flipping over literally. to Nason's part, I Aka like literally turned the page. Well, yeah, they're actually told concurrently. So I I didn't flip the page to Nason's part, but that's how I'm gonna tell the story to you as the audience. So <laughs> we Basically, for Nason, we meet up at this moment where she's called down a sapphire obelisk to turn her father, Jija, into crystals when he tried to kill her. It's interesting because Nason doesn't seem to have the same sort of stone hangup that is happening to Alabaster and her mom. That is I don't, a, that's real. I actually didn't yeah. notice that. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if she's not using as much of the obelisk as they did. Because to be fair, you know, I guess when she was, when Eason was cyanite, she did like use the obelisk to pull out that thing from underwater. But either way, Nason is a far more talented origin slash magic user than probably anybody else existing. Um, so anyway, so she uses the sapphire obelisk to, to, you know, murder her father. And then the guardians who are with her are like, oh... Um, that's a problem. And Shafa's like, hey, me being Shafa, you should probably kill those two guardians before they try to kill you. And Aeson's like, oh, uh, okay. So she uses Sapphire again, creates a weapon, and she starts to fight the guardians, and then Shafa and Steel slash Gray Man slash that creepy stone eater that's still in the story <laughs> helps her <laughs> kill them as well. And then they grab the rest of the Origin kids and leave because the second the Stills find out that an origin killed the guards it's gonna be you know like it's curtains yeah it's not gonna be good so nason has decided to help steel return the moon to the earth and shafa is kind of wary for a good reason of trusting steel who seems to have objectives that no one can really place <laughs> um, <laughs> like nobody knows. Just, I'm, I'm sorry like Steel is almost unnecessarily suspicious. Like he'll just like be doing like pedestrian shit and just be weird. And I'm like, truly, like, like just hella sus. Like, like Steel could be like a drinking, a, a you know, a milkshake, and it's still the most suspicious way anyone has ever. Drank <laughs> so it's like, what is milkshake. in the milkshake? What are you gonna do right. with the milkshake? I just feel, I feel uneasy. I just feel uneasy. But so Shafa has basically decided at this point that he loves Nason unconditionally. I, I, I don't know. Shafa's been a bit, um, I mean, in a bad place ever since Miove. So he loves Nason unconditionally, but the Father Earth, he's in rebellion against Father Earth. So Father Earth is continuously like kind of nipping at his little control mechanism and causing him a lot of pain. But he also doesn't want to take magic from Nason. He doesn't want to use her as a supply. So he's in a lot mm. of pain. A lot of the time, but he's decided he's dedicated his life to this 10-year-old. Shafa does need therapy, yes. And basically, he's like, until the whole thing burns, um, we're, it's you and me. Steel doesn't care for Shafa and, in fact, often taunts him and thinks she shouldn't bring him along. But Nason mm -hmm. is also fond of Shafa or she's really traumatized because she doesn't have any parental figures who don't cause her harm and doesn't understand the history that Shafa has with her mother, which actually Gross. permeates into her relationship and the way she's been taught as well. Yes. But she's also 10. Mm. So she's like, look, I don't have a father anymore. It's going to be Shafa. I really, she's 10. She's 10. Why well, do I yeah. think she was like at least 13? Maybe it's just because, no. like, what she's going through. It's rough stuff. Yeah. But then you think back to Eason and how young she was when she was, it's like a similar parallel, you know? Yeah. 
the story definitely rhymes. So anyway, also, because Shafa and Nason are going to stick together, it makes it impossible for Steel to carry her through the Earth to the destination that he needs her to go, which is, I think, Core Point, where Alabaster was, or somebody was doing something. Yeah, Alabaster, yeah, yeah, he went there. Before he, like, yes. fell through the Earth and, like, saw, like, into the eyes of Father Earth or some shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, Alba's yeah, memory. Um, Abu's game, yeah. So yeah. basically, the reason <laughs> footnote Abu's game. So the reason it's <laughs> it's a no go is because Nason's like, hey, Steel. So you could carry me through the earth to the core point, and Steel's like, yes, I could. As he drinks his milkshake suspiciously, and she's like, you could also carry Shafa through the earth to core point, and Steel like stops drinking. It's like, I guess that's a hypothetical truth, yeah. And she's like, would you do? it though and he was like hypothetically no and she's like in actuality and he was like still no and she's like great 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 <laughs> so I guess me and, and Shafa are walking this one out and Steel was like alright you know do you do you right. so Shafa and Nathan basically tell the kids that have survived that they're gonna have to figure out how to survive the season on their own because they can't come with them and Shafa gives them some pretty violent advice. I can't um, say if it's... It's probably bad advice, actually. Basically, Shafa's like, oh, simple children. When you get to a calm, kill one person as a representative and have them see everyone see that and let you in to the calm as, you know, as a, as a bargaining tool. And everyone's like, that's very violent. And what if they hate us more and don't let us in? And Shafa was like, well, I think then you kind of just murder all of them, right? And the children are like, Shafa. Um, um, they're also like a little mad at Nason because some of them really liked the guardians that were taking care of them. So it's just a very complicated, traumatizing moment. But the children are like, well, it's a season and this book is just disutopic and sad. So I guess we'll figure out a way through this. And I looked at it and I was like, are we ever even going to see these characters again? And I wasn't really sure. Right. I truly don't know. So Shafa and Nason, after giving terrible PowerPoints to these children, <laughs> like <laughs> truly the worst. It was like the kind where the words are too much for the page and there's no clip art. It was just awful. Anyway, so they head towards Images this Images off the screen and oh shit. My like, God. Just not, like just pixelated. As, just the colors mess. were clashing. Like, oh, yeah, uh. God. Like eight different fonts on one slot. It's my just goodness. like, who made this, bro? <laughs> like, did y'all just throw this shit together? Like the right. survey reviews, they were like... Like Nathan's like, oh, we got some really, really scathing feedback on the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> we just <laughs> oh god, oh my god, yeah. So, so Shafa and Nathan like head towards this like core point, mysterious location, and as they're traveling, Shafa's struggling not to like use Nathan's magic to fight the Father Earth's control. So Nathan starts produ- Nathan starts producing more magic and feeding it to Shafa while he's sleeping, which does help things. Eventually they, you know, the plot keeps moving and they end up at the de- <laughs> dead civilization and they realize it's like inside a cave and the technology is advanced, but everything's covered in soot and dust. Nathan connects with the obelisk and mm. has this flashback to what the place used to look like. And it kind of looks suspiciously like Xyla Anagus. It kind of looks like Hoa's old place. Mm. It's got like flowers and the plants. And they, they mentioned that creepy car with the legs. And, and they drove on these light paths. And she realizes that this huge civilization used to be above ground. And then something happened, probably an origin, probably a stone eater, probably Hoa. And it pulled magma out of the ground 
and poured it down over the civilization, killing everyone and just encapsulating everything. And this whole civilization in like this huge cave. There's like lava, igneous rock prison. Mm. And Shafa and Nason wonder who or why, but Shafa also tells Nason. <laughs> Right, they're just like, what? Like, why did this Where happen? are we? <laughs> what is happening? Like, so unnecessary. They're like flipping through the book too. Like, where is our plot going? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> be... He's like awkwardly kicking rocks. Like, okay, I guess we just walk through the calm now. Oh, like, no. it's just like, they're just like, like scratching uh, their heads. Like, I mean, I think Gray sure. Man's going to be here eventually. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so, but Chaffa <laughs> does... <laughs> <laughs> that's actually funny as fuck but, um, oh. but Chapa so in this like a filler episode Chapa basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically tells Nathan not to trust oh my God. the obelisk for a couple reasons one she seems very drained after the communication and two Shafa's uh, kind of like we don't know who the obelisks are who they belong to why they're telling we don't actually know anything about anyone so don't always trust what they're saying, which is a good point that no one's brought up before. Like nobody knows what the intentions of Father Earth are, the obelisk, the moon. Mm. The, we don't know anything. We're all kind of just pawns in these games. And then so Shafa talks further, you know, like Nason asks, like, how come you don't have any kids? You know, they're building rapport. You know, it's a, you know, it's like a fish out of water, father daughter tale. OK, so Guardian uh, <laughs> Shafa's like, it's not that I can't have children. It's that I'm not supposed to because I could. I could pass on my origin genes. All guardians actually have origin genes. They just don't actually know how to use magic. And the point of a guardian is kind of to stop the massacre of the origins by keeping them as tools, useful tools that stills can use and therefore don't feel afraid of, which is kind of starting to sound a little bit like the conductors from Hoa's story. Mm. But he basically is, says, you know, he's seen obelisks destroy Origin who use them. And he can't remember because, you know, Shafa's memory has been a little fuddy-duddy since Mio. But he's like, I can't remember mm. who or why or how. But I know that the Origins will probably turn you into stone. And the stone eaters don't really care because they have a completely other objective. And Nason's like, wow, this is like really interesting. And maybe we should contemplate on this and perhaps think about our objectives. And they're like, oh, just kidding. Did you see that vine technology just like follow this guy? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, that one's like still kind of working, even though everything else has been destroyed. We should probably like use that. And Steel's like, yeah, yeah, let's use that. And you're like, Steel? What? what steel? Hey, uh, steel? What? <laughs> Steel's like, yeah, yeah. Why don't we just, uh, you want to see if you can make that work? I-, I feel like we were just talking about how stone eaters have their own objectives and like can't be trusted. But right. yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, yeah, why not? We're here. So <laughs> Nason grabs the magical vine and she, uses her magic powers to turn it on. And while she's doing that, she's like moderately overpowered by the vine and um, has to pull like power from the sapphire to help her. And when she does that, the whole civilization like turns back on. So like, you know, the lights are beaming, the creepy cars, the plan, Mm. you know. And afterwards, Shafa gets really angry at Steel because the vine power almost sucked out all the life out of Nason. But Steel points out that that's kind of his fault, you know, because a if he wasn't a corrupted guardian, he he could still kind of use some magic to make this work. But uh guess he's like useless to this whole story. And Nathan, 
And Shava's like feeling sad. And Nathan tries to comfort him, which she really shouldn't have to do at 10. And Seal should, for living a millennium, has no tact. And basically, Nathan tries to tell him, like, hey, I'm your family. I want to protect you sometimes. And Shava is literally fighting the evil earth right now as she's talking to him and she's he's like i'll protect you too and you're like it's not very convincing shava but (laughs) so then nason goes over to steel and she's like hey hey steel and he's like man this milkshake's delicious she's like can you just like stop antagonizing shava and steel says honestly and very ominously he shouldn't have brought him in the first place Mm. so that is the end of part one, the arbitrary part one of part three. Yes. We, to give some context, we read through chapter eight. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. We read through chapter eight for anyone that might be reading along. Mm-hmm. But um, let's take a break. Yes. I know the listeners are like, ooh, cha, I need a break. Um, so yeah, let's <laughs> all take a break. And then when we come back, we'll get into... The thoughts and feelings about parts one. Woo! And we are back. Woo! So let's let's get into it, child. So yeah. okay. So I feel like so I, I, I don't know y'all, y'all y'all ain't new to this unless you are new to this in which hey hi but um, <laughs> nice to meet you the way the way we usually I mean hopefully this isn't your first episode um, oh like a little bit confusing first, but <laughs> glad you're here love to see it anyway so we usually like to just kind of give our general thoughts impressions and all that stuff and then kind of get into the nitty and gritty so let's mm-hmm. just keep that same energy so impressions Uh-oh. of the book so far. I I would just give it a buck. I don't love this book so far, if I'm just keeping mm. it honest. Just because, okay, I think a lot of it has to do with my expectations kind of coming in. Like, I was like, okay, third book of the, of the trilogy is going to be hella action-packed. Like, oh, my mm. God. And I feel like, I mean, we, we know from, if history tells us anything, especially the first book, we know that, like, there, these stories are going to come together. There is going to be a moment of convergence and it's going to yes. like be a whole thing. But I'm finding the build up to that moment really slow. Like it's just mm. like kind of taking a while and like not for nothing, no shade, like not that much is like really happened. happened. And so it's just mm. kind of like, and I feel like with Obelisk Gate, I was kind of like, okay, Obelisk Gate was like kind of slower compared to fifth season, but Obelisk Gate also did a lot of the work to like establish more nuanced understandings of the mm-hmm. world. And like you feel, you felt like you understood, okay, like the reason why there are seasons is because of this. And like, okay, boom, right. boom, boom, with Alabaster. All, it, it, I felt like I was learning a lot around the world to like, like I thought it was going to be like, okay, action impact, action pack book one, give you more context book two, it mm-hmm. all comes together, explosion, like boom, book three. But it's kind of giving you like, some additional context, but also just a lot of like the malaise of just like walking of, of just moving through a season and Ethan's just like stewing with regret. And then like, I don't know, this whole side plot with like Nason and Steelman and stuff. I just I we we talked about this before. You know, I don't it's not that I dislike fantasy. I don't want to think I don't like fantasy. <laughs> but what I find most interesting in fantasy is 
one, just kind of the real world parallels I found. That's why I found fifth season to be really, really interesting. I thought there was a lot of really salient, like, real world parallels. But at the same time, I also like to just like how people are able to relate to one another within this context. So it was like, okay, so say your world is set up such that these characteristics are true or these properties exist, whatever, whatever. How do people still build community? How do people still relate mm. to each other? How do they talk to each other? Like, how does that in- how does that inform the interactions that take place? And I feel like this book is really spending a lot of time really focusing on the setting and like the world. And I'm just like, not as interested in that like it's interesting but i Mm. am more interested in like you know just kind of the conversations the dynamics between characters it's not to say that that's not happening but i find i think maybe just but just by virtue of time we've had the most time with eason i personally find eason's chapters more interesting Mm. so like having it be kind of chopped in with with hoa's chapters which i'd be like girl what the fuck is going on and then like (laughs) nason's where it's like i mean it's cute but like i don't really see it for shafa and i don't love that they're together like i don't think we're supposed to feel sympathetic towards them but it just i don't know it just it makes me a little uncomfortable it's kind of like, what am I doing? I don't know. I just feel like not much has really happened. And we're like halfway through book three. So I don't know. I don't know if if things are going to pick up or like what. But I feel like right now it is a little slow. I will say there are elements that I like, which I'll get into. But I feel like right now it's not my, it's not my favorite so Mm. far. But also am like open to that changing. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Akko? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I. I, when I was reading it, I was like, this feels like Obeliscape Part 2. Yes. Not, you know, this trilogy third part. And I was like, man, this stuff about Hoa's hometown, really interesting. Probably should have been in Obeliscape. Agreed. Because Agreed. then, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, I get, I get excited. Because, Let me relax. No, I mean, I, this is similar to um, how I don't like character design and consistency and how you don't like it when they introduce new characters to stories. Anyway, um, <laughs> we all have our peppies, but I, <laughs> but I, I do think it would have fit better in that book, especially since in that book, we were getting a lot of Hoa's perspective and sort of right. the timeline for stone eaters. And so I do see what you're saying where you're, I'm, I'm kind of halfway through the book and I'm like, okay, I do understand how everything fits together. I probably understand the scenery more than most scenery I've ever understood. It's still a little confused, but for the, for the most part, I have the scenery. I'm just a little confused as to, you know, I'm, I'm like a little afraid because we're almost at the end of the whole series. And I'm right. like, has, I feel like I'm still, I have a whole nother book. So that's worrisome. But I do think... I, one thing I started to kind of feel like, I was like, well, is this helping me deconstruct my idea of a trilogy, you know, and my mm. idea of like how an arc should go? Why should the last episode, episode, last book be this sort of completeness in a cyclical book series where we honestly didn't start in a, you know, a pr- progressive manner you know a linear manner we might not finish in one either we might Mm. you know the whole thing might be this whole big circle cycle of ups and downs which is kind of what they said in the first book it was like this is a season you'll have better seasons you'll have worse seasons so that made me think maybe and then and okay just to be fair i was like not feeling it and i was like well let me try and find a way to feel it so this is me working my brain but um Mm. the other thing i thought and i think this is fair i was like why 
you know, because the other books, I was like, there were more characters in the other books. Is what I my first thought was. But mm-hmm. I was like, why isn't the civilization a character to you? When the book is trying really hard for you to see the civilization and the people as one thing, mm-hmm. one sentience. Okay. So why isn't the calm a character? The fact that and and Ika's you know, the leader and the way that's changed. Like, we're not really looking at Easton. We're looking at how the calm has changed. And mm-hmm. for Hoa's story, like, Hoa is literally part of the architecture <laughs> of the civilization. And so the right. whole civilization is a character. And I, I did, when I started to think of it that way, I did start to find myself quite interested, right? Because what's causing this civilization to fall apart? And what's causing it to deteriorate and what made it create these creatures these stone eaters i don't know mm. if we're gonna and then of course with nason and and the calm i don't know if there's a character there <laughs> i guess they're just them <laughs> look i'm not i'm not a genius i'm just trying to put it together but i yeah. think i i did when i started to see the characters as the places they were in and the connections between the people, the relationship. And I guess to be fair, in Nason's store, we're going back to the same civilization, but in the future. Right. And so that's mm-hmm. a new character, right? This devastating thing has happened. This whatever explosion from the middle. And that's the character this event is a character. And it makes sense, right? Because the earth is a character. Right. Right. And so when I started to see it that way, I was like, this is really nuanced and cool. It, but it did take me a second to think about it in that capacity. And I'm also not sure if it will still pay off. Regard- mm. <laughs> Even if it's like, well, you know, readjust the way you think of sagas, readjust the way you think of characters. I'm still not convinced this is going to pay off to something that I'm like, huh. But I'm willing to see where it goes. Yeah. That's, I really lo- I love I really love everything you just said. I, I, I feel I really want to highlight the piece as far as like just kind of deconstructing what it is, what it means to even have a trilogy and like what does it mean to have like a like a definitive, okay, closed, okay, I finished the book, everything is solved, I know everything about the world, I know everything that took place, boom, complete, concrete, satisfying ending in a world that's highly dystopian and literally prone to cataclysm and fuckery <laughs> every so often. Like, it, like thematically that... I'm thinking about it and I'm like, thematically, I mean, technically, I guess that wouldn't really make sense. But to be fair, it's not like I thought there was going to be a happy ending. But right, I guess, I, I, and, and also too, you know, I'm thinking about what you just said as far as like the the comms being a character, just looking at the setting as part of the character base. And I like that reframe a lot. I think there's something about this book that feels, I'm trying to find the word. Unfinished? It feels... I think I, I think a lot of sort of my just personal taste things are just like I, I, I have I tend to just compare it a lot to book one. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, in that book, it felt I guess it felt a little less claustrophobic. It felt like maybe there was more of a clear objective. It felt like there was like some kind of like, yeah, like a direction. But it's, it's like in this book, part of the tragedy is especially in Easton's arc is like the entire purpose of me going on this journey is just, just kind of ended unceremoniously and my daughter is in God only knows how much danger and I'm not really even the hero like I'm not even the hero in her exactly. story you know like like I'm actually just kind of like I mean again I've been able to rationalize all the violence and harm that I've caused but I still caused it and it's just a lot of like reckoning and working to understand and even watching Nason kind of fall into you know this this perspective i mean nathan's very much on a what i want to see it all burn i want to destroy the world fuck all this like y'all can all get these hands like it's very much giving mm-hmm. that and i'm like something about that is just 
it I, I guess maybe there just aren't those glimmers of hope that I that I was at least able to sort of attach myself to earlier in the saga where it was like okay but at the very least we might learn since so much was unknown it felt like okay like the more we learn there might be like a turn of events or like mm. you know there, there's so much potential in this right. but it feels like with both it being the last book and the direction that is going i'm like where's the potential where's the purpose where's the like anything it's like okay yeah maxis joins the com but like i mean he's clearly going to like die soon it's just it feels very like and like so many people have died it's like oh my god like yeah it's just I feel like it's it's some of that is making it kind of be like <sighs> but like I want to find something to like hold on to hold on to I guess yeah and I think that's Ika's point I think that's why Ika's so annoyed with Eason because she's like you think that this whole big thing you're doing is gonna bring meaning but to be honest with you Kistrima was was the ideal mm. you you very flippantly <laughs> destroyed <laughs> the ideal um right. uh, you it's almost like the the like happy resolve we were gonna get at the end Eason basically to- i mean not her alone to be fair the boil beetles were coming for everyone so and right. ranimez was out the door so they were about to come through the gate but the point is her point is there is no no one else is coming for us there is no solution there is no ending we're making that utopia but every time you flippantly destroy everything because you don't think community matters or you're mm-hmm. you're so to be honest, really traumatized out of having community, it's gone. And we're stuck in a season. We're calmless. And there's nothing. You know what I mean? It's really right. an interesting reframe. And it, I'm only thinking about it now that you've said it. Like, you're like, the tragedy is that there is no where to go. And and right. right? And Eason keeps grabbing, throughout the book, Eason keeps grabbing onto other people's objectives because she doesn't have one. Right. Um, She's like, sure, I'll pull the moon back. Like Alabaster wanted me to, <laughs> you know, like, and, and mm. Nason's the same way. It's this need for connection, for love that's making them do these things. But actually, like what they really want is just to be loved, you know, um, mm. and part of something. But they don't know how to be. I mean, not I know Maxie's had like three lines and like a total of three lines in three books. <laughs> <laughs> Two in book one and one in book three. And right. Jemison's like, that's actually just not true, but okay, girl, go off. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, if if we Marcy and I discussed it before, but Maxie's in the first book, it was it was like Demaya and this other character Crack and this other character Jason. They were children and they were together and kind of similar to Nason losing these kids here in Found Moon. Like mm-hmm. the fulcrum basically tore them apart. You know, Maxim's Maxim's hands were broken out of after an incident with everybody and and it, they lost fear overtook any type of friendship and. You know, that's kind of, and you know, for Eason, her mom was like keeping her in a barn because she was an orangey. It's just this continuous sort of power and utility over love and community. And Yika is like the foil to that, right? Because it's not about power and utility. It's about what they make together, which is a place where stills and origins live. And so you contrast that with, you know, the Guardians who are talking about like origins as tools 
And whatever evil Earth's objective is, honestly, I still don't know. <laughs> or right. Stone Man. But that part I found interesting. I do wish it was more, that part was more emphasized in the book. I wish that that was easier to to see when reading it. I really had to like try. But maybe, <laughs> can you be like mad for having to try? I guess not. I don't know. And I also could be, well, I guess we can't be wrong since it's a book. But, you know, right. tell yeah. that to your teacher in your English class. Exactly. Um, uh, Susan, the answer wasn't A or B. It was actually D. Well, I mean, arguably, the answer is all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you just got the author wrong. Like, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think you can still dislike the book, Marcy. I don't. I wouldn't say I like. See, we're only halfway through. So right. I'm like, OK, it's not my favorite. I don't really love it. I don't really like it that much either. But, <laughs> but part two might. And I think your thoughts have genuine basis too. I mean, they you would they would regardless of what Akko thought. But I, I mm. genuinely agree with what you're saying, right? Like mm. they're just you're just like halfway through and you're like, ah. <laughs> like you know, I feel like, I feel like just... literally I finished part one. I like just I like got to the page. I like closed the book and I'm like. This sucks. Like, not this book <laughs> sucks, but just like what happening just sucks. sucks. Like, it just, it all yeah. just sucks. And it's like, there's just no moment to breathe. Like, at least in book one, we had like, okay, the exploration in Miove and like, at least like a, re- like a recalling to a better time. And like, mm. I don't know, like, like you said with, with, um, with Obelisk Gate, like, Kastrima in itself had so much potential. And even when they were going against like that other com, like, there was such a beautiful moment of unity where yeah. was like, you know, none of us gets to choose who are people, like, who, who's a person who isn't, like, we're all coming together. There was just, I don't know, there's camaraderie. There was a feeling of like fellowship. Now it's just kind of like aimless wandering and like a, an objective that I'm like, do y'all, do y'all even want to do this Obelisk Gate shit? Like, what is the real, like, what, Nathan, why? Why do you give a shit about this? Like, it's just, I'm very just like, uh, and like, I'm hoping that like later when they reconnect, I mean, cause I, I swear we get to the end of this book and like Easton and Nason don't cross paths. I'm literally going to be like, like <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible, right? Like <laughs> I like wouldn't put it past it. Honestly. Cause we really like, thought she was going to find Jija and fight him. So, Oh, definitely. I, I literally was like, Oh, tune in exams part two, like <laughs> way, but like, no, absolutely not. No tune in exams. Nason killed him. So yeah. I just, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm, the, the 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 stop for like I don't know the glimmer of hope. I'm I'm looking for that and I'm looking for something that feels and I guess maybe that's like kind of what's being set up with this whole how well like you can still love me like I'm immortal <laughs> and I'm like this is literally like like this is not not, not it. what we should but, be aiming for. But do you remember relationship? Yeah, I don't know. Hoa I feel like none of the stone eaters understand um <laughs> 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 just understand but i think that oh they to be fair they've been alive for a very long time you know i, I think for them what it, this looks so small much smaller right it's like kind mm. of the way you're like well that butterfly is alive and now it's dead you know what i mean it's it's a much mm. shorter lifespan for them but you know i a couple of things like one remember at the end of book two and like she kind of saw a stone eater that looked like alabaster. I'm so happy you brought this up. So yes. I'm kind of like, do we know if being eaten kills you or if you just turn into a stone eater or what that looks like or why? Or, you know what I mean? Like, 
Mm. What does it mean to be eaten? <laughs> I don't like. I feel like right. that's what you you would be sitting in a college class. And what does being eaten mean? But no, I seriously like what <laughs> we don't know. It's possible that this is just a trans. You know, antimony applesauce is actually just transformed <laughs> alabaster, and the same thing's happening with Hoa. I mean, mm. I don't think. And interestingly enough, Isa's not really concerned about her passing like she doesn't seem like she's you not that that doesn't she isn't passing but she just right. kind of seems like and ho is not like yes i'm slowly you know killing you that's not that doesn't seem to be the tone anyone is taking although that right. from our perspective is what's happening so i don't know what did you think about that mercy i'm really happy you brought that up because i've been thinking about that for a while that was kind mm. of my i was thinking the same thing i was like okay so i guess maybe once like there's no more east and left. Like, she'll just turn into a stone eater, I guess. Like, it's a way to be, like, immortalized. Which, because I remember, because you were saying it literally just now, like, in the in the plot summary, you were saying, like, um, you were talking about how when Nason and Shafa were together and, like, he was explaining, like, I don't know why, but, like, you know, we kind of are just tools to kind of keep the origins under control. And you were like, yeah, it kind of reminds me a lot of, like, the whole conductor situation with the stone eaters. I was like, oh, maybe that is just kind of like a like a next, like a, the next step really that like maybe i don't know they're still conductors per se but maybe the guardians serve that purpose or there's like a similar i don't know type of type of entity that works to also corral and like coerce the stone eaters actually as i'm thinking about this right now maybe the stone eaters maybe the freedom of it is that like I, maybe uh, we haven't gone to the end of hoa's arc but i'm thinking what if the co- the conductors no longer actually exist like what oh, if in destroying Psyll yeah. uh, Anagus, like, Hoa was able to just, like, destroy that power structure altogether such mm. that the Stone Eaters are both immortal but also actually free? In, right. In a way where it's, like, they, they can actually move around with agency, with autonomy in a way that's, like, ni- that neither them in Psyll Anagus nor them as origins experienced before. Right. So it, it represents, like, this immortal presence of freedom, of, of just being able to just, like, be free forever. Yeah. Maybe that's, like, the... The payoff in all of it, maybe. Wow, um, that's optimistic. I was gonna say that like the conductors were were destroyed, but and now them, like that was a long time ago, and so now they've become kind of their own like power structure <laughs> that mm. enacts their own sort of you know they have now power over all the stills and the origin. You know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe it's turned again, and so that they they have the power and act with, you know, with a little bit of a ban- reckless abandon and use origin, you know, the way they were used. I like yours better because <laughs> it's mm. happier, but I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, it's very optimistic. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I think that's also me just like grasping for hope and like some, some kind of payoff. Cause then if it's like, Okay, you become a stone eater, and then it also sucks. It's like, right. oh my god! Just, well, I think that's why maybe they have to pull <laughs> the moon back. I like maybe that's why the moon needs. Maybe that's why everyone is so focused on this. They're like, if we can just get the moon back, the Earth will calm down. We can figure out this dead sieve thing later, but at least there won't be boil beaters. You know, like maybe they're just right. like, at least things will just chill, and we can start again. But in these. I don't know. But then I wonder, like, is the moon coming back a red herring? Is it, you know, like a false hope? Right. Whew, we do not have the answers. And that's, I think that's the part of why I'm like, Stone Sky, how am I halfway through the third book? And I don't fully understand. I, I feel understand. like I still don't fully understand what's going on. And I'm like, am I going to get to the end of this book? And be <laughs> and like, I just understand. didn't understand what happened. Yeah. 
for three books. <laughs> like, oh, okay. like, I'm still not sure if Father Earth is a metaphor or not. I I've been taking it very literally, but Father yeah. Earth could be a metaphor. I don't maybe know. Steel Man is Father Earth. There's no way that's 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 the whole leap. I'm I'm like, I'm just like, (laughs) conspiracy. That's not true. I don't know what steals. I love how we combine Grayman and Steel together. I don't know what (laughs) Steel's motivations are. I don't even know if Steel really, even though they think that their motivation is is pretty a pretty good one. I mean, Hoa, you know, Hoa and Steel argue. Well, Hoa did say that actually their motivation has nothing to do with anything anymore. It just has to do with Eason. Although yeah. there was a hint that like Eason reminds Ho of a past flame, which you're like, ooh, yeah. still a millennium later, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all right, buddy. Okay. And also, too, just in the grand scheme, it's like, okay, you've been alive for a thousand years, and like, to yes, be Eason's fa- an yeah. adult woman, but she's like forty-two. I mean, to be fair, he has been stuck in an in in an obelisk, right? Like he was stuck in an obelisk for a presumably a very long time. Yeah. Actually, weren't they all kind of stuck in? Oh, maybe they're like. You know, like Windows 97, they don't realize it's 2021. So they're like trying to go for an objective that doesn't even matter anymore, you know? Right. Maybe. You know, like your 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 Windows 2001 is like, what was right. it, Vista? Your Windows Vista is like trying to fax you something. And you're like, <laughs> I actually, everything here is obsolete, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but then it seems like Hoa made art in the field. I don't know. You know what? I'm very willing to just wait until the end. That's exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I am true. Just let's just see what happens. Truly, yeah. let's just see what happens. Um, I will say, I did want to notice, I, w- I wanted to note some things that I did really enjoy about this. Yeah. Um, and they actually, funny enough, have to do a lot with Hoa's arc of all things, even though I found it the most confusing out of all of them. I did love the, the, I love the idea of a past civilization being more technologically advanced than the present. Yes. I find that really, really interesting, especially yes, when yes, that yes. kind of, and I know Aku, you and I talked about this, um, like separately just in real life, but like, I love the infusion of like nature into that technology, mm. like a form of technology and advancement that is both advancing of the, of, of those who are on the planet, but also advancing of the, the planet, planet itself. itself. It, it's, right. not ex- it, it's not at the expense or the exploitation of the earth. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just given like, you know, the, the times we live in, like that, that, that kind of representation is very beautiful. So I really loved that. I also it wasn't lost to me the fact that like the stone eaters who in this context, you know, were highly oppressed, like the fact that they could only communicate authentically underneath the surface. I don't know. I really like that imagery of like, okay, like we could truly, uh, like only through a medium that was like literally inaccessible to the oppressor could we be ourselves. I just, I don't know. I found that the fact that it's literally subterranean, like it's underground, it just really points to like, I don't know. I just, I found that imagery in that highlighting of oppression. I'm not sure if that was like an intentional choice, but I just thought that was a really, it it felt very real to me. And I was like, ooh, I like that. So, yeah. That's fair. Definitely some subtleties that I that I appreciate it in this as well. I don't want to think I just like literally hate <laughs> Silk Sky, but I'm just very much I'm like, how's this about to uh, I'm a little nervous. Let's, I'm, I'll, Let's, I'll read it. I'm a, right. But I'm kind of nervous, like not going to lie. Um, so, yes. I really like how you pointed out the um, the subtlety. I, I really liked it too, because I was like, this this expression of communication is so much more expansive Mm. but it still felt honest right it still felt like the same way you and i or any human speaks to each other but 
I think in the the present or I don't know capitalism United States I don't know whatever we sort of erase a mayor I don't know whatever uh, there's an erasure of this uh, or a lack of acknowledgement of the the depth that subtlety communicates right and mm. and they're the fact that they not just acknowledge and people use that in various ways to have power right if i can ignore the subtleties or i can over exaggerate the subtleties or right. if we just have a different understanding of what the subtleties are then i can and people can say what they want about what happened in the situation here to how the subtleties not only recognized but communicated with and engaged with with a consistency or regular reg you know it was very cool because it reminded me and and this is to your point about the the environment civilization that we could probably be something else completely <laughs> you know right. like, we could probably have a communication style that's more nuanced and we could probably make a civilization that like integrated mm. the environment and just that idea alone was like fun to imagine and the fact that like the human modern quote unquote old ugly building <laughs> was like right. clearly a one that like we would be, be very familiar right. with be, like impressed by right right <laughs> right was like kind of it kind of like threw you in in a way the, the way that you know the author calls us you and says you mm. when she's talking about Easton it, it brought us in like is this so different from your world and what does that mean about what you can imagine so i agree with you i thought those subtleties were fun i liked the nature aspect i actually liked eason having to come to terms with her behavior i think yika is a pretty pretty cool foil who's just Mm. like the issue here is not that because you know for the whole story we're eason and we're like yeah eason's justified although we did call it we were back in like book one we were like i don't know eason's the main character but her behavioral choices um (laughs) kind of (laughs) wild kind of is so i think but I, I like that she has to come to terms with things, right? She keeps running from her past. The past keeps catching up with her. She runs again. The past catches mm-hmm. up again. And now she's at the point where she's like, oh, you know, the past is here with me. I am what happened to me. In fact, some things have been solidified, perhaps in stone. Sorry. Okay. And then, <laughs> and lastly, I, I shop is getting, they're like, wow, season three, y'all. Anyway, but. Uh, <laughs> rough start (laughs) shit (laughs) but i also like shafa i think shafa and nason's relationship is toxic but it's interesting to watch their arc you know i Mm. I wonder if shafa will always not remember or if one moment he'll have to atone that this person nason he loves so much he actually like hurt very deeply by hurting eason and and will he ever have to atone to eason for what Mm. you know what i mean it's like a grandparent grandchild situation we have here almost and and I think partially Eason doesn't want to see Nason because she doesn't run run into Shafa because mm. she, yeah like Shafa isn't to Eason what Shafa is to Nason right like right you know Shafa is to Eason what Eason is to Nason that's what it is Oof. right exactly that's so so having to contend with that I want to see what happens and honestly quite frankly I kind of do want to know what is up with Steel <laughs> just right. want to know. <laughs> Mm. so we'll see part two what if actually no that that no go ahead predictions let's do it i was gonna say what if steel is alabaster but then i'm like chronologically that don't even add Um, up because alabaster was still alive when steel first showed up close close if Uh, well yeah uh predictions yeah um nason and eason are going to come together it's going to be a very like climactic like oh my gosh like what's happening i think nason's 
I hope it doesn't come to blows. I hope they're able to kind of like just talk it out. I hope no one's harmed mm. in the process. But like, I feel like that's not going to happen. Mm. Or I could see Eason like sacrificing herself by the too. end and like fully turning to stone once she is in some kind of struggle with Nason. I do think I agree with you. I do think Shava's going to like kind of come to terms with things and like something. Um, I feel like Alabaster <laughs> isn't fully gone yet. I <laughs> feel like Alabaster is going to show up real, real, real soon. I feel like he, like yeah. there's no way he's completely out of the story. Yeah. Um, I mean, people with, with, if Maxis, if can show back up, learn, I mean, come like, on. anyone can come back at this point. Shit. Crack might even come back. Crack we don't. Back. Yeah. Crack's um, not coming back. Craig is not coming back, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. And then I, like I guess it. um, I feel like as far as the seasons um, I feel like it's not going to be a full end to the seasons, but like a Me temporary either. break. Like they'll be like, okay, y'all don't have to deal with the season for like now two hundred years instead of like a hundred years or some shit. Yeah, you know, Tonki said something. That's another Tonki has really been sidelined in these last two, months. which I hate. Yeah, Tonki's not in the book, but then again, so is then. This is your pet peeve, right? Because all the other characters, who the Tonki's girlfriend, honestly, Ika, like all the other character learner, like they've all kind of right. been sidelined in the story, right? They're not that. Um, their depth has kind of dissipated. But anyway, Tonki said something though. I think it was book two where she was like, "We didn't." We haven't evolved with these seasons, which means they're not, they're recent seasons. And I wonder if the ending is them just becoming, evolving with a season, becoming people who are in tune with the dystopia they've made, right? Like, Mm. maybe. That would be kind of sad, but. That would, yeah. Well. (laughs) Well, if you have thoughts. You know yes. what's great about this is we're at part one. So if you want to follow along and give your thoughts, or if you're yelling at the podcast, like none of those things are going to happen. I read the book because it came out four years ago <laughs> <laughs> and it took you so long to read it. You know, where is a great place to tell us all that? Don't not in all caps, you know, we got feelings, but you can go to Twitter <laughs> at the color pages or Instagram at these color pages. If you have thoughts and theories, ideas about what we should do next, how we should transition better, you can email us at thesecolorpages at gmail.com. And hey, we have a website, thesecolorpages.com. Uh, yes, yes. And of course, if this show brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, feel free to just, you know, leave us some love wherever you are listening to this podcast, which could be Apple Podcasts or not <laughs> so wherever you listen to this podcast we love a comment we love a rating we love a review we love love any 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 kind of a recognition wherever y'all listen to this podcast also yeah. if you know someone in your life someone you love someone who's close to you that you're like you know what you need right now part one of uh stone sky I, <laughs> of the I, third I book in a guess <laughs> um i mean you're super fond of it but like here um if you know someone like yeah just <laughs> send it along to them no context just send it along just to like whatever and you know certainly just with with any with with this episode but also just any episode in general we also love just any kind of like sharing and, and the more that people can you know let, tell their friends about it because yeah you know it, it definitely helps to the community to get even even more colorful which we always love to see and also too just like we said at the very beginning for all of you who that are listening right now who are hearing our voices who even shit made it this far in the episode like <laughs> we just really appreciate y'all's time we do. And we do. And giving a fuck about anything that's happening on this podcast. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. So, like Aqua said, next time we'll be getting to part two, um, the rest of the Stone Sky. We'll see what Ooh. happens. Yeah. 
But yeah, I guess between now and then, Aqua, is there anything else we should leave our listeners with before we head out? No, just until we see you guys next time. Just remember to stay, stay colorful. colorful.